0: Welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. I want you to open your Bibles with me today back to Matthew chapter 6. I found as I was studying this over the last couple of weeks that I missed the Sermon on the Mount. Did anyone else miss the Portrait Series? We've been away from it since around Thanksgiving, and um, when I got back into it, I remembered, wow, this was so exciting. I remember how much I was enjoying this and just um, remembering. So so a a recap, the Portrait Series is all about looking at Jesus' penultimate um, collection of sermons or his Sermon on the Mount. And the point of this sermon, remember, is not a list of do's and don'ts for a Christian to follow. That's so important to understand because if we turn his sermon into a list of do's and don'ts, then we will turn Christianity into a religion of accomplishments, a religion that is based on our works. And you see, that's not at all what Christianity is. What Jesus is doing with the Sermon on the Mount is he is introducing us to a true follower of Jesus. He says, when you follow me, this is who you are. This is who I make you to be. Someone who is poor in spirit. Someone who mourns. Someone who is weak. uh, Sorry, someone who is meek. Remember the difference of those? Go check out that sermon online. sounds like I need to because I've forgotten it. Um, But today, we're going to jump right back where we left off into his teaching on how do we, as followers of Jesus, approach religious practices in the understanding of grace? In other words, you know, Paul, Paul's readers struggle with this too in one of the epistles. And Paul said uh, a rhetorical question. He said, you know, so since grace abounds, what does that mean? We just go on sinning even more because then we will get more grace? And he answers himself by saying, of, of course not. That's not the point of grace, right? But what Jesus is doing here, he's saying, listen, following me is based on grace. But in that, we still have the practice of a religion. And so he's teaching us the heart that we must have when we approach the religious practices that keep our relationship with God firm. Does that make sense? So let's read this, um, and then it'll make more sense after that, hopefully. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Amen. You guys ever taken a true or false test? The sermon title today is True or False? And I want to know if you enjoyed true or false tests as much as I did. Raise your hand if you like true or false tests. False. False. (laughs) Only one other person in the room. So I understand people's beef with true or false, right? They can be tricky. You can trap yourself. uh, Teachers can trap you um, with with something that seems true but it's really false. Or they just use one one, um, uh, qualifying word that can change the meaning of true or false and it's difficult to understand. I get all that. The reason that I love true or false tests is because there's no room for interpretation. Right? If you ask me to give a paragraph answer, I might give you an answer that you just, you just don't think I got all of the answer correct, so you only give me half credit. Right? In multiple choice, um, sometimes the questions are written in a way where you're thinking well, like A is half right and half wrong, and B is fully right, and I know that means you should choose B, but it could be argued that there's part of A that's correct too, right? It's up for interpretation and argument. True or false test, there is no arguing. It is either right or wrong. And grading a true or false test, anyone ever been a grader and graded a true or false test? It is so easy, you don't even have to read. You don't, know how, you don't even need, need to know how to read to grade a true or false test. You just go wrong, wrong, right, 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 And you get an 80 if I did 10 of those. In a way, Jesus is giving us a true or false test here. You know, it is true that there's not many things in Scripture that, that are this black and white dry. Like just straight up a true or false test. He says it like it is right here. He says, listen, if you pray to be seen by others, you received your reward. I was sitting with uh, the boys um, this week. They came into the office uh, one day when I was still working after school. And I, I read that to them and I said, what do you think that means? And they got it nail on the head. You know, this is just, is just teaching so sim- simple here. It just means you get, what you, you get what you wanted, people's attention. If you pray to be seen by others, you will receive your reward, people's attention. And he's saying that is the false way to pray. This is not the way to pray ever. Um, I was reading some of these, um, some of the studying I did, and it was really interesting to hear the phrase broken down. Uh, they pray at the street corners, in the synagogues. We get right. Jesus actually gives us an example of that in Scripture. He says um, that there was this Pharisee who came to the altar, and he opened his hands and he prayed so eloquently, and people would think, "Man, that guy really knows how to pray." But then Jesus pointed their attention to um, the man who was on his knees saying, I am not worthy of you, O God, in the corner. And Jesus said, that man gets it and the Pharisee doesn't. So he gave us an example of what it looks like to pray in the synagogues in the false way. But this street corner thing was interesting. Most commentators believe it meant this, okay? So picture you're walking yourself over to Colorwork Studio or Bryant High School on February 2nd. And, you know, you got to pass down the side streets, okay? So you're walking down the side streets, and there's people on each side of the street, right? But when you come to the street corner, what happens to um, your view? What happens? It it widens, right? It gets broad. So would it be safe to say that on the street, on the path, your regular path, um, some people could see you, right? But isn't it also safe to say that when you get to the corner, more people can see you? So What most scholars think is that the Pharisees had this practice during the day, uh, 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 during this day. They would come to synagogue, and on their way to synagogue, they would get to the corner, open themselves up in a posture of prayer, and begin to pray loudly for everyone in that wide, broad view to hear and experience their prayer. In other words, they didn't only want to pray publicly a little bit, they wanted to jump full steam ahead into making sure everyone knows I am a holy person. Now, I know that this scripture might be difficult to understand and apply to your daily life because you may have never done that before, right? I mean, a show of the hands. Who has prayed on a street corner in the method that I just said? Nobody. None of us, right? Some people have. So, Don't get lost in the hyperbole of what Jesus is saying, right? He doesn't only mean do not pray loudly in a synagogue, when you say, I've never been to a synagogue, so I'm good there. And do not pray loudly on the street corners. Well, I don't pray on the street corners, so I'm good. I'll just keep moving on past this. Remember, this is Jesus's greatest work of all time, this sermon. He's not just picking out these two or three street preachers and condemning them. He's saying there is a false way to pray, and the false way to pray is in a way that is self-serving. So let's, let's talk about these few things. The first thing that Jesus says it is true to do, the true way to pray is to pray in secret. You say, if I pray in secret, who will even know I'm praying at all? And therein lies the point. Praying publicly for all to see is a way to pray self-servingly. Now, um, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but just know there is a very appropriate way to pray in public, okay? We're not, Jesus is not condemning public prayers, He's condemning people who pray publicly for the purpose of being seen by others and lifted up by others. He's saying it's about the prayer's heart, the one who is praying publicly's heart. That's what I'm concerned about. So praying falsely is praying in a self-serving way. Jesus teaches here that the true way to pray to God is a way that brings no glory and no accolades to you. When we are praying in truth, we are praying out of a desire for intimacy. We're praying out of desperation for a connection to the creator of the universe. You see the difference? We're not praying out of a desire for others to praise us or to see us. We're praying because we want to be with our Savior. We want to be with our creator. Praying in this public manner was one of the ways that the Pharisees could present to others their religious superiority. In other words, they were saying by their praying on the street corner and in the synagogues in this way, I want everyone to know I'm more holy than you. When we pray in a way that lifts us up or puts our religious superiority on blast. We are praying falsely. It's not up for interpretation. This is not a paragraph answer. It is false when we pray in this way. But it is true, when we pray in truth, it is true that that is praying in a way that presents, listen to this, right? So praying falsely is, is praying in a way that presents our religious superiority, superiority to people. Praying in a true way is praying in a way that presents our inferiority to the one who knows our heart Jesus has already been here on the Sermon on the Mount right here in this topic he said blessed are the poor in spirit the poor in spirit is someone who understands who they are they have seen they've come face to face with the monster of their sinful self and they're willing to say to step up to it and to say, that is who I am. I will not try to make excuses for that. It's who I am. And I want to be in the family of God. And God takes them in through the sacrifice of Jesus and says, that's who you were. This is who you are now. So praying falsely is praying in a way that elevates our religious superiority, puts it on blast for everyone to see. But praying in truth means we're actually praying with a posture of inferiority because we understand who we are and we see that God sees our heart. Um, <clears throat> have you ever faked the healthiness of a relationship in front of others before? Uh, one more time. Faked the healthiness of a relationship. Let me do it like this. Um, you know what I mean, right? Like, uh, how are you today? I'm good. The kids are good. The wife and I, we're great. Everything's so good. Work is good. The car's not broken. We're good. That's what you say to someone when they ask you how you are at work or at church or at a party or when you run into someone on the sidewalk. But then behind closed doors, the monster is revealed, right? All hell breaks loose behind closed doors. You're lonely in your own house. You argue day and night in your own house about the the dumbest things, right, generally. You are done with your kids inside the house. You are done with your parents inside the house. Some of the kids know what I mean by that. You've had it with your spouse You've had it with your family's incessant nagging, right? But, to people on the outside, you present a healthy front. Or at least a healthier than reality front. If you haven't done this before, I'm sure you probably know people who are like that, right? Everyone knows someone like that. Like they have a friend who has a problem they want to talk about. This is how we act when our main concern is public approval. We want to get the approval of the public. If this illustration isn't hitting home for you, I challenge you to scroll back through your social media posts over the last couple of months, if you're on social media. Maybe you say, no, I usually keep it real with people. That's one of my things, I keep it real. I tell them if it's good, I tell them if it's bad. But then you look back on your social media and you see all these great pictures of you. You don't see any pictures of you right after you rolled out of bed before you brush your teeth or fix your hair or put your clothes on, right? <laughs> Why not? Because that goes public. And even even if you have a private account, it goes to your friends. So why wouldn't you? It's because you wanna keep a certain persona of yourself to the public in order to gain or keep their approval. This is how we act when our main concern is public approval. But it's not how you act when your goal is an intimate relationship, right? So let's say your best friend asks you how you're doing, someone you have an intimate relationship with. When they ask you how you're doing and you have a few hours to talk, what do you say? You tell them the truth. You tell them what's going on. Why? Because you don't care whether they approve of you or not. You know they're going to be there forever. They're with you. They're your ride or die. They're going to stay with you. And so you're, you're real with them because your desire is not that they approve of you. Your desire is an intimate relationship. You want them to know what's going on. Maybe because you know they pray for you. So you want them to pray for you. Maybe because you know they're just going to have your back and you need someone to have your back. But the point is, we, we fake it in front of people that we want to approve of us. But we're real with people who we want a relationship with. And what Jesus is teaching us here in this prayer, true or false quiz, He's asking us to ask ourselves, how are you praying? Are you praying for public approval because you want people to think that you are holy or righteous or you have superiority over them? Or are you praying because you want a relationship with my Father? Because Jesus says, that relationship is so close. It is right here and it's found in me. And when when you come to me in secret, I will reward you. But if you come to me in public and you front like you do on your social media, you, you're going to get your reward. You're going to get your likes. You're going to get your praise hand comments and your heart emojis and your girl, you look good in that comments. That's what you're going to get. And that's all you're going to get. Don't expect to receive a relationship when all you come to God with is public approval. It is a desire for public approval. So the, the true way to pray Here, Jesus says, is to pray in secret. Praying with our minds set on how others will see us or will view us is to pray in a way that empties prayer of its power. When we pray in this way, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, just save your breath. (laughs) You're just wasting your time because the, the prayer has no power. Um, it's difficult for us since we're so grace, you know, we know that salvation comes by grace. It's difficult for us sometimes to talk about rewards. But Jesus is pretty, pretty simply clear here. You will not receive a reward from your Father when you pray in this way. You just won't. You're going to get a reward from mankind. And when you pray like this, it empties it of its power. And a prayer that is empty is empty of reward as well. So we've got to pray in secret. But then next he moves on and he says to pray with sincerity. He says, pray with sincerity. And the the false that he gives is the Gentiles. He says in verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. These are words that mean nothing. Some translations might say um, vain repetitions. So meaningless words, maybe you just repeat the same things over and over again, but they've lost their meaning. Maybe they had meaning once, but they're lost now. Or maybe they've never, ever had meaning at all, and you just do it as a habit, and it's just something you do, and it makes you feel better inside. Jesus says, do not pray like this, because what happens is the Gentiles, when they, when they pray like this, they think that they will be heard for their many words, uh, so the second thing is to pray with sincerity prayer should feel listen to this prayer should feel less like public speaking and more like a one on one conversation with somebody who you know if you feel like a public speaker when you pray in other words I gotta say the right words I don't wanna mess up um, I maybe even write it down not that writing your prayers is bad That's writing your prayers is a fantastic thing but I, got, I gotta write this so that I get it right so that I don't misspeak um, Your prayers should not feel like that. Um, You may, especially if you're new to the faith, you may feel self-conscious about praying because you feel like you don't want to say something that is going to cause harm to your relationship with God. I want to invite you to open up the book of Psalms and just flip through and put your finger anywhere and just read it. (laughs) These prayers in the book of Psalms will help you so much in your journey into learning how to pray. Uh, Danny even talked to us about it in the serve team, um, the all-in serve team rally, he he was telling us about prayer, and he was saying that um, when we pray like this, this is when we have a healthy relationship with God. To learn how to pour out our hearts to God in a way that is a conversation, not a public, um, not not public speaking. God knows your heart already. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, when you pray, give give God the good, give God the bad, give God the ugly. It's things you wouldn't stay on stage. In fact, it should, be, it should be things you would not say in front of others. That's what you give to God. He is not scared of the truth because he already knows the truth of what's going on in your life. Um, you've had a friend like this, I hope. One who isn't going to be shocked if you're honest with them. One who's going to love you through the difficult times. right? Even if you tell them what you're really thinking about someone else or about yourself, they're not going to be shocked. They're going to say, yeah, I know, I understand. They're going to listen. That this type of person invites sincere conversation. And while God is, listen, he is more than just a good friend. He is that friend. Jesus presents himself as an emissary, one who acts as that friend that you can go to and speak with one-on-one. And the reason that God sent his son to us to be not only our savior but also our friend is because God knows us. He created us. He knows that it's a fearful thing to approach a holy, almighty God. And so he sent us Jesus to be the one who can relate with you. Jesus isn't only a good friend. Hear me about that. He's not only a good friend, but he is a good friend. It just doesn't define everything that he is. He is also Almighty God, right? He's Savior. He's the Lion and the Lamb. But he is also your friend. Um, Praying with sincerity is praying with simplicity. Notice Jesus is not, he's not complicated here. Over the next few weeks, especially starting next week, Danny Danny is going to get into um, the, the Lord's Prayer, which comes right after this. And we're going to study this. But you know one thing that's beautiful about this prayer, it's so simple. And Jesus is warning us against this with these with this gentile falsity. He's saying praying with sincerity is about praying sim- simply. Praying with sincerity is praying with normal language. Not empty phrases, normal language. How do you talk to others? Start there. Start praying like that. Just pray to God. Use the words that you have. You don't have to have fancy ones. Uh, praying with sincerity is praying without an audience. Okay, so I, I told you we'd get on public prayer a little bit. Public prayer is not wrong, right? It's not, there's nothing wrong with public prayer. In fact, we see public prayer all throughout Scripture. But here is what public prayer should be. You may jot this down for a reminder later. Public prayer, when done with a true heart, should be the outflow of your private prayer life. Public prayer should flow out of your private prayer life. Think of it like this, uh, with a simple illustration. Um, If I stood up and preached my own ideas every week, the sermons would be empty. You would feel empty. You wouldn't want to come. The sermons hit home with people in the room Because they are the outflow of studying scripture. The Holy Spirit invades those words, rearranges them in a way that oftentimes are not even on my notes. And then when I deliver them, he just rushes out of that that overpouring of his word and into your heart. And that's what pierces the word of God says, pierces to even bone and marrow. That's why sometimes people will come to me and say, "Um, I don't know how you knew to preach that, to say that illustration or preach that exact point. And I'll say, I didn't know it, but the Holy Spirit did. And that's why it happened. Right? It actually happened last week. Right, Tammy? Praying with sincerity is praying without an audience. If you're only praying with an audience, then, then you may be the Pharisee. If you don't pray at all by yourself in your closet, you may be the Pharisee. Uh, praying with sincerity is also praying without a filter. I don't even want to give any clarifications on that. I, I want to be true. Praying with sincerity is praying without a filter. If you're filtering your prayers to God, you're being dishonest with him. If you're angry at God, tell him you're angry. It's, I mean, so many of these things are also how you converse with other people too, right? If you're angry with a friend, you can't just stay angry with them and not tell them about it. If you're sad, if you're frustrated, if you're lonely, if you're in love, if you're, if you're celebrating, you have to tell people to have a relationship. Praying with sincerity is praying without a filter. God's not scared of what you can say to him. Because you, you want, we have to understand the sovereignty and the providence of God. He already knows the thought you had. <laughs> so he wants you to say it out loud. He wants you to offer it to him. Um, and finally, the last little uh, note I'll give you on praying with sincerity is that praying with sincerity is praying when you would rather be busy. Here's another way to say to see if you're the Pharisee, if you only pray when you're not busy. Praying with sincerity is praying when you'd rather be busy. Man, um, before technology took over our lives, this may have been easier. You might think that, but you know maybe it wasn't. People people struggle with prayer way before technology was a big deal. Um, I remember reading in seminary. Um, a passage from Martin Luther, and he said, you know, normally he would wake up every single day at 5 a.m., and he would spend one hour in prayer and one hour in scripture before he got his day started. And he said, and if he had an especially busy day ahead of him, he would wake up at 4 a.m. But that's not how I think, naturally. Is it how you think? I'm thinking if I have a specially busy day ahead of me, let me get just like a little bit more sleep actually, or maybe just, maybe I'll wake up on time, but why wake up earlier? Well, the point was because he knew that in an especially busy day or in a, a day that's especially filled with tasks, you need more time in prayer in the morning than let, rather than less. Praying with sincerity is about praying when you, ra- when, when you normally would be busy. It's about seeking the Lord, seeking his face in truth, even when you have other things to do. So uh, we're going to pray in secret, Jesus teaches us, to pray with sincerity. And then this last one that he has here in verse 8 is to pray with confidence. To pray with confidence. God wants to give his children, who is you, God wants to give his children what they need. When you trust God, you are a part of his family. Jesus calls you a co-heir with him. And when you are in God's family, God wants to give you what you need. we just sang it about the good, good father, right? Um, Jesus has some teaching about the father and how good of gifts he gives. I also want to read to you James chapter four. Um, listen to this. In James chapter four, verse two, the writer says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Jesus saying you desire these things and it causes you to go and get them from others, even to the point of maybe killing others to get them. And then he says, you know, you covet things. You're jealous of others' things because you can't have them. So you fight with them in order to try to get them. And then he just finishes so simply. You do not have because you do not ask. Jesus knows that God the Father is ready to give his followers what they need. But his desire, remember, is intimacy. It's relationship. So he wants us to come to him to get the things that we need. You can infer from Jesus' teachings, especially in light of what James says here, that there are things that God has in store for you, listen to this, there, You can infer that there are things that God has in store for you that you do not have yet because you haven't asked for them yet. You could think on that all week. What is a desire of my heart that I've desired for a long time? And I don't have it, and I'm wondering why. And God might be just saying, I'm just waiting on you to ask. I have it. I have it ready for you. It's right here. It's right here in my hands. What are you wanting? Ask yourself this. What are you wanting that you haven't asked God for? Do you want victory over a specific sin, but you're so focused on confessing it that you haven't asked God to give you victory over it? Do you want peace in your relationship, but you're so focused on trying to get there using the methods of man that you've never asked God to change your heart and change your loved one's heart? What are you you wanting that you just haven't asked God for? Jesus is saying here, we have to pray with confidence that God knows what we need already. Before we even ask, he knows what we need, and he wants to give it to us. But he wants relationship, not a performance. Remember, so he wants us to come to him and asking for that. Um, I was—I have a coach, a church planting coach, and he helps me through different things, from you know the finances of a new church um, to outreach to keeping me on task with certain things. And I was talking to him um, about um, in our last meeting in December, and. I told him about the difficulties we were having with ColorWorks, you know? It it costs more than what we had budgeted for meeting space. Um, It doesn't fit any more people when we have everyone who comes. It's full. Um, It's very difficult to get to. You know, you guys know the list. So many things that, that that I'm struggling with. And so I told him I started to look for a new space. And I told him about my Google searches and I told him that it's very difficult to find space in our neighborhood. And in fact, I had found almost nothing, and the one person I had contacted, it didn't work out. And he listens well, that's what a coach should do, but then he also asks really good questions. And he said, have you thought about approaching this problem from a different direction? And I said, no. (laughs) And you know, he's just quiet. (laughs) And I said, do you have have something in mind? And he said, well, it sounds like you're doing a really good job of trying to fix the problem. But you're coming up with nothing. I'm just wondering. Remember, he's not going to give me the answer, right? It's not his job. He said, I'm just wondering if there's another way to approach this problem besides just trying to fix it that might be helpful. And then he's quiet. And in the middle of that sentence, I get what he's saying. And I said, I haven't spent much time praying for the solution. And he said, that's what I was thinking. You know, it might sound, uh, it might be on iffy water, right? Um, We have something here in our culture called the prosperity gospel. It can't be handled in one little illustration, but the gist of it is God wants to give you everything you want, and he wants everything to be good in your life, from your health to your wealth to your prosperity, right? And it's it's not the full gospel. It's not the truth of it. But they steal from little passages like this and um, uh, grandiose them up into the whole, the whole gospel. But listen, just because those are grandiosed up into the whole gospel doesn't mean that this is not true. And what this is saying is that God has in store for you and I good things because he's a good father. And the truth is, sometimes we're not going to get them because we're not humble enough to ask for them. We're prideful enough to go try to get them ourselves or to try to fix it ourselves, but we're not humble enough to go to him and say, God, I'm frustrated that this is not happening, and I tried to fix it, and I confess that I tried to fix it before I went to you in prayer, but this is my desire. This is our desire. Our desire is to grow a church, and we feel like we're being hamstrung by the fact that no one can find where we meet. Our desire is to grow a church, but we feel like we're not within easy walking distance of pretty much every single person who comes to the church right now. So that became my prayer. And it's no coincidence. It is a celebration that from fixing to praying is when God gave us the answer to our prayer. I want to be clear as we lead this church that Danny and Larry and Summer and Lindsay and Candace and others who were involved in the, this decision, Johnny, we did not fix this. I don't have the power to make the principal of Bryant High School favorable toward Queen's Church. It doesn't exist in me. But you know what? that God had that ready for us. I don't know how long he's had it, but I praise God for a friend who directed us to prayer. And through prayer, God gave us the answer that we were looking for, which is a new space. So I say that illustration for us to be reminded that what Jesus is teaching here are true is true. And I wanna ask you the question, what are you trying to fix that you need to take to God with sincerity? What in your life are you striving for that you haven't gone to the feet of Jesus and asked for? He's a good father, and he wants to give you the good things. After all, he knows what you need. You see the foolishness there? It's foolish for us to try to fix a problem that God knows we have without asking him to fix it for us or to show us the way or to swing wide, all you heavens. Asking him to let the walls fall down as the praise goes up, like we just sang. It's foolish to try to break the walls down by ourselves. That's why what Danny said is so true when he read that scripture. That's why God didn't call them to go with swords and with um, with, with armor, because it's foolish to try. They couldn't take those walls down by themselves. You can go back there and study all that, but it wasn't happening. There was no way they were going to defeat that army. And God said, "I don't want you to defeat the army. I got the army defeated." I just want you to be humble enough to ask me and trust me. So uh, we have to pray with confidence that God knows what we need. We see Jesus. Listen to this. As we come to the next steps, we see Jesus in the garden in his last days. And he's in secret praying. No coincidence there, by the way. He's in secret praying. He sent the disciples away from him. Isn't it interesting how he actually changed his behavior based on what he knew was true? He could have just sat there and prayed this prayer where he's going to bleed sweat sweat drops of blood. But no, he he sent the disciples away. He said, I'm going to go in secret because I know that my father, he knew his father so well that he knew that his father who sees in secret would reward him in secret. He knew it. So he did it. He goes away in secret and he prayed with sincerity and he prayed with confidence. Remember the confidence part of the prayer for Jesus? Not my will, but yours be done. That's the hard part. That's the confidence. I, I, I do believe in your will better than mine, but I want this to happen. He didn't want to drink that cup. He didn't want to go to the cross. He was honest. He had no filter. But he had confidence. God, not, not my will, but yours. Listen, church, because Jesus has given his life for you and me, you are free to come to him You are free to come to the God of all creation in secret, with sincerity and with confidence. Without Jesus, do not pray like this. You will heap condemnation on yourself if you pray like this without Jesus because your inclination is correct. You and I have no right to pray like this without Jesus. But in Jesus, we have become free to pray like this because we are welcomed into the family. So, here are the next steps I want to challenge us with this morning. The first one is this. I want each of us to take the challenge to pray this prayer that's forthcoming each day at noon this week. Okay, so the prayer is often called the Lord's Prayer. You might have heard it called the Model Prayer. Both of them are perfectly good names, whichever you choose. But we're going to pray this together as a church each day this week at noon. We're going to preach on it the next few weeks. That's the first challenge. The second one is this. I want you and me to pray right now where you are, or you can pray with a, team, a prayer team person in the back. I want you to pray and ask God that question. There was a few questions in here, but one of them is what are you trying to fix? God, you got to show me. What am I trying to fix that you want to give me, and I just need to surrender it? what are you trying to fix that you need to surrender to God and then finally some of us the next step might be to to take the next step in our relationship with God maybe we've never stepped out in faith in any way to pray to him like that maybe we haven't trusted him as our savior I want to invite you to do that Remember what I said, praying praying this way with Jesus is a good thing. Praying this way without Jesus will get you in trouble. The freedom comes through Jesus to pray this way. That's the only way we can pray like this. So I want to invite you to talk to a prayer team person at the back, if that's you. Let's remember, going forward, that God is calling us to pray. But he's given us a clear yes and no, true and false. Pray in secret, true. Pray with sincerity, true. Pray with confidence, true. He's shown us the false way to pray and he's given us the example of the true way. Let's follow him in that this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. I thank you that you have given us the freedom to pray, um, that we are learning each and every day More and more, how prayer enriches our relationship with you in a very similar way that just speaking honestly with people will enrich our relationships with them. So I pray that you would give us confidence to come to you in secret and with sincerity, knowing and trusting that you have what we need in store for us. And you want us to come humbly and ask for it because when we're prideful and try to fix it on our own, God, oftentimes we rummage around breaking other things, hurting relationships, getting prideful when we succeed, and feeling too defeated when we fail. Lift our eyes up to you and give us the poor spirits that we need to come into your presence, humbly asking that you would give us all that we need and believing that you will. In Jesus' name we pray.